one week season. What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam? Welcome back to the DFS lab. I'm your host, JM to win here with my guest. Keegan KTM was it KTM 128? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I love with your DFS name, but I have the muscle <laughs> memory of saying KTM 128. Uh, I got very lucky with my DFS name because I wasn't thinking ahead to content and just ended up with yeah. something that was worth using. But uh, I like KTM. It's the, it's the numbers at the end kind of throw it off. But uh, KTM is a pretty nice name. KTM was taken, so I just had to. Had yeah, to throw on the one numbers. Yeah, 128 KTM. <laughs> Uh, for any of you who are new to watching the DFS Lab, welcome. Real quickly, concept behind the show, I've been playing DFS since 2013. Uh, wrote for Roto-Grinders for a long time, was in charge of premium content at Roto-Grinders for a while. Worked with a lot of people in the industry, run one-week season. Keegan started playing DFS two years ago. And so the concept here is for this show to be sort of a balance between the knowledge that I've picked up over the years and doing this full time in terms of paying attention to all the teams, all the coaches, all the schemes, all the ins and outs. And Keegan as somebody who takes DFS seriously, but is still a more casual player. So uh, he gets to be kind of a proxy for you, the audience, ideally ask the questions that you would be asking, explore the topics you would be exploring and get those questions answered for you. Uh, we build most, most episodes, we build a roster, which kind of allows us just to talk through that week's slate. Um, Keegan, anything else to add to that little intro? No, that was that was perfect. Um, I just gotta say, there's a lot of uh, teams that I'm liking this week on the slate. Nice, nice. I think it's kind of one of those. There's. Uh, I sent out the angles email this morning. Uh, if you don't get the angles email, you just sign up for OWS free. It goes out every week. But we take a, a macro view at the slate, and it's like a lot of games with 44 to 46 and a half point totals, and then only two games above that. And those two games aren't like sure things by any stretch of the imagination. And so it's kind of like eight, eight of the 13 games, nine of the 13 games are really bunched up in terms of what the production could be. So yeah, I mean, makes sense that there's just like a lot to like. Uh, I'm pretty deep into my process. So I have things narrowed down on my end. So yeah, it'll be fun to dig into this and see like where I can maybe pick up some things from you, where I can maybe bounce some things your way that uh, you might not have been seeing. Uh, before we get in, how's your... Uh, How's your new living situation? How's your office? I oh, believe man. you're you're sitting yeah. on a you got a food crate that you're computer. Yeah, well, it was like it was like food food trays. You know, you sit down and watch TV with. I, I got an improvised <laughs> office right now. We're just now moving in, and so you know, we just painted the walls and everything. So <laughs> it's it's working it's out. Well, to be. Just happy. Uh, actually, office. this my my office. I just set up like last year uh like a year and a week ago so uh i'm obviously fully settled in now but i know i know the feeling of of settling into a new office <laughs> yeah. um all right cool so we I, I don't know do you have any questions any thoughts any things you want to bring up before we dive into roster building or do you want to just dive right in um i kind of want to dive in just ask the questions as we go cool cool so we will pull up your DraftKings. Uh, we are both, you and I are both um, app builders. I'm an app and opto builder. So we'll navigate the desktop and and kind of get our muscle memory back with it. Yeah, but um, bear best. with us as we do that. <laughs> um, all right. So where do you want to start this roster and what are kind of the, the opening points you want to ask on this one? So basically I want to start the roster with the main team we want to focus on. You know, the team that's going to get us to uh, essentially first 
and see what yeah. we can do with that. So uh, this week, you can tell me if you have any other teams on your mind, but um, there's a couple that I'm really focusing on this weekend. Uh, now that Burrow's back, I'm definitely focusing a lot on the Cincy-Cleveland game um, as well as the Houston-Baltimore game. And then there's another one that, like, until I think about maybe two days ago, I really didn't pay attention to. And I've been just – I keep going back to it. I keep looking at it like, man, this game could potentially go off. And it's uh, the Seahawks and uh, the Rams. And I kind of want to look at that today. Yeah, so uh, let me hit some real quick macro thoughts from my end on those um, – Bengals and Browns, Burrow is one and four against the Browns in his career, which isn't predictive. That doesn't mean he's going to have a bad game here, but it highlights that divisional matchups tend to be tough. They tend to be really competitive. The Browns added Juan Thornhill in the secondary. They added Zadarius Smith as a pass rusher. Uh, they added Jim Schwartz as a defensive coordinator. So they're going to be like a competitive team. The Bengals are obviously a very competitive team. So this is the sort of game that it's either going to be like, well, it's not going to, it's not binary. It's not either going to be low scoring or high scoring, but it's going to be like a competitive game. And so if it goes high scoring, it can go all the way high scoring, but you kind of want to build around it that way. So that's how I see that game is like, I will have right now, I'm looking at maybe 10% of my rosters built around that game. And then very few pieces from that game on other rosters, because I also see that that game could go a very different direction. And the price tags are so high that I don't want I don't want Jamar Chase as like a random one-off on some roster. I want to bet on that game going a particular way. Uh, I'll skip over the Ravens and Texans one for now and then go to that Seattle Rams one. So we have a new feature. I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, it's going to be released tomorrow morning on the site. It's totally free, but it's called Around the Industry. And what we've done is we've set up five tiers of players, like four quarterbacks that are tier one quarterbacks, four like tier two quarterbacks, uh, three like tier one flex position players and so on and so forth. And we have like 40 people from around the industry who are making their picks in each category. So we have like Notorious from Roto Grinders and Big T from Run Pure and Derek Cardi from The Blitz and all these different people. And I was looking through the, that cheat sheet, the around the industry sheet yesterday, the answers that had come in. And in the Geno Smith tier, which is like Geno, Sam Howell, Russ Wilson, uh, one other quarterback sort of in that range, like almost everyone has picked Geno. But I don't think that that game's going to be particularly popular. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, this is a good offense. Jackson Smith and Jigba, we thought he wasn't going to play week one. Looks like he's going to play week one. He has like Amon Ross, St. Brown, Cooper Cup type skill set to his game. It's going to be a superstar in the next couple of years. Add that to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and a really bad Rams defense. So the concern for me there is that the Rams aren't going to have Cooper Cup. They have a bad offensive line. And if Seattle is leading games, this is going back throughout Pete Carroll's entire tenure, they like to just control the game and slow it down and run the ball. So you don't tend to see a lot of passing volume, a lot of explosive plays in those types of games. So you want to build around that game in a way where you say, okay, how do the Rams push the pace? So for me, I can't look at a Seattle team in a vacuum and say they're going to do well. I have to say, how does this opponent force them to put up big fantasy scores? Because Pete Carroll just wants to win the game. He doesn't care about the stats. And so that type of roster becomes very interesting because – Cam Akers will go overlooked. Puka Nakua is going to be the number two receiver for the Rams, probably, probably 1% owned fifth round draft pick. I really like Nakua though. Uh, Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby, like you got to say, okay, so if this is happening where Seattle's putting up a big game, the Rams are probably pushing them to put up a big game. These guys are cheap and going to be low owned. So there's a lot of value there. So 
Uh, yeah, I like the idea of attacking that game in large field play with Rams pieces coming back on the other side because it's going to be low owned. You get cheap exposure. And if it hits, you're getting cheap exposure to a lot of points. Uh, yeah. So that's sort of my like macro thoughts on, on those two spots. Yeah. I love that. Um, I love the, the Puka Nakua play. Actually um, you were on a, who was it with? Uh, I think it was Pete. You yeah. We were talking to Pete about Pua, uh, Nakua and uh, Puka Nakua. And uh, I didn't even know about him until that. And I looked at him and I was like, man, he's just like uh, Mims in that sense where it's, it's a cheaper play it can definitely um, pay off, you know, when yeah. you can reach for yeah, it's like, players. You know, we get so hung up on draft pedigree, and obviously Marvin Mims is more NFL-ready than Puka Nakua, but also I was paying attention to him this throughout training camp, and, like, there's all these – there was a video where he was mic'd up in practice, and, like, 60% of the video is him standing next to Cooper Cup and asking him questions, asking him questions about, like, how to gain leverage on a particular route, asking him questions about – the blocking assignment on, on a particular play, just like basically that daily effort of trying to get better at every little thing that he can get better at. And it's the kind of player who, you know, Cooper cup was a third round draft pick. It's the kind of player who they can develop throughout their career and, and become like a, like a really strong fantasy contributor seemingly out of nowhere. And, and obviously week one, right. There's a lot of question marks, but that's the type of play where look, if Seattle is this much better than the Rams, the Rams are going to have to pass Puka Naku is going to get five to seven targets and, um, have basically no ownership and he's 3k, you know, at, at no ownership. And, um, and what's really cool too, is you brought up Mims, right? Mims will probably be popular if, if Judy's out this week. So then you can even take that a step further from a strategy standpoint and say, Mims probably doesn't have a bad game unless somebody else from this offense is having a good game. Right. So like what you really want is you take Nakua as this 3k guy, but don't think about it just in the vacuum. You also say, I want him to outscore, the popular 3K guy. And if he outscores the popular 3K guy, that probably means that somebody else on that guy's team is getting the points instead of him. So then it becomes like a Sutton plus Nakua roster or a Dulcich plus Nakua roster where people don't look at that as being correlated. But in terms of the strategies that get us to first place, it actually is heavily correlated because it's not like Nakua having a good game means Mims has a bad game, but your clearest path to first place with Nakua is for Mims to have a bad game. So you want to place that bet so that you can get it all the way right if it comes. Yeah, that's a great uh, view on that. So do you want to start building the roster? Yeah, do you I want actually, to talk over um, any more teams? Let's um, – Because there's definitely a lot of teams on here that I like. Yeah, there's a lot of teams on here. First episode, <laughs> and, and this is the first time you and I have talked about the slate. Yeah. So I want to be cognizant of – like I would love to sit here for an hour and a half and just like talk through all the games. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Also like cognizant of the fact that we have, like I've got uh, the week one special podcast coming out later today, which is like a blend of the winter circle podcast and angles. And I'm going through all the games there. It's going to be free on the one week season podcast feed. So I don't want to like give people double listening, uh, but I will hit on there are three spots that uh, I'll highlight this in the player grid too. So if you're watching this, you're new to OWS, uh, we make everything free week one. So I kind of feel okay giving away uh, some of the stuff that would typically be behind the paywall. But uh, there's three spots that I'm looking at this week that I'm, I always want to think in week one, like what could be the story of the week coming out of the week? Uh, so the three spots that I think like right now, not the only three spots, but like the three spots that really stand out to me that on Monday, it could be the story of week one, the Broncos offense, uh, 
the Washington Commanders offense and Miles Sanders. So I'll hit on each of those real quickly. The Broncos offense, I'll say this. So Keegan, I was watching a, a Sean Payton. You know, a lot of these coaches, they're like, don't care about the noise. Don't care about the stats. They just want to win the game. I was watching a Sean Payton interview the other day and like two or three times in one interview, unrelated to whatever was being talked about, he brought up the fact that the Saints had led the NFL in touchdown scored during his 16 years there. Like he kept bringing that up. And when he was with the Saints, he would always like call passing plays deep into the games to try to get Drew Brees these passing records. And then he was in the media last year. And it's like, he's one of the rare NFL coaches who cares about the noise. And sometimes like, I'll have these narratives in mind and they're so obvious. But then by the time we get to Sunday, I'm like, well, that's not actionable enough. And I don't act on it enough. AJ Brown against the Titans last year. I spent the whole week explaining like the the Eagles are the type of team that's going to go out of their way to get AJ Brown a big game here. It's not like it hurts their path to winning, helps their path to winning. And they want him to have a big game against the Titans. And then I ended up putting him on like 8% of my rosters. Cause I was like, well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, and he put up, I don't know, 36 or 42 points that game. And sometimes these narratives are so obvious that, that the opportunity to lean into them because they're still sharp is there. So who knows? Maybe Russ is truly broken. Maybe the Broncos have an awful year. But if not, if he's going to have a bounce back year, the Saints are going to want – they're playing an awful Oakland defense for the Saints. The Broncos are going to want to prove a point. Sean Payton's going to want to prove a point. He's going to want to be the talk of the NFL. And so this is an interesting week to be early on that spot instead of being late on that spot. Uh yeah, I shall. I'll pause there. You got any questions or thoughts on that one? Um, no, I mean, I've also been on the the Broncos as well. It's a, I'm really excited about that game solely because, well, not solely, but one of the reasons is because of how cheap you can get a ton of the players for the Broncos. Yeah. Um, like just the price point is ridiculous. Yeah. And then we also like keep in mind that, uh, you know, Raiders played the Broncos twice last year. Devontae Adams had 36 points in one of those games. Josh Jacobs had 37 points in another and nobody wants to play players against that Broncos defense. So you have the opportunity for like Mims will be popular, but if you go Russ plus Mims plus Sutton plus Jacobs, it literally doesn't matter that you had a popular player on that because you have such a unique setup that, that you're doing something different from everybody else to be able to move past the field there. So uh, yeah, that's a spot that again, and if you're newer to the way we think at OWS, the way we think to actually get first place finishes, the way that we think to actually be profitable in DFS, we're not predicting that the Broncos are going to have a, a good game. We're just recognizing that the opportunity is high and people will wait because there's uncertainty there. And so we take that opportunity recognizing that these types of spots make us money over time. Uh, on Washington, there's been like nothing but positive buzz around Sam Howell as a quarterback. And like, he's that guy essentially. And we'll have to wait to see it, but he has Curtis Samuel, he has Jahan Dotson, he has Terry McLaurin. Uh, I was even thinking the other night, in my head, I'm like, Brian Robinson kind of sucks. But they were raving about Brian Robinson last offseason, and then he got shot in the leg, <laughs> like, came back and played the rest of the season. You know, like, yeah. so maybe what we saw last year wasn't the full Brian Robinson experience. So Brian Robinson might be really good. We know that Antonio Gibson has electric capacity to his game. And they're playing a Cardinals team that's basically expansion level. So the question, I'll hit on this again in my, um, in my week one special pod, but the question around that team has just kind of been like, well, Eric Bieniemy's is coming over from the, from the Chiefs as the offensive coordinator. He likes to be aggressive, pass the ball, but Ron Rivera is the head coach and he's always been a little bit more conservative. So I was paying attention to some stuff the other night and 
coming across this story of somehow I missed it last year that it wasn't Ron Rivera's decision to start Sam Howell at the end of the season. Sam Howell got one start. It was Taylor Heineke's decision, the Washington starting quarterback. And Heineke basically like after watching Howell every day in practice, he essentially said like, you guys already know who I am as a player. You guys need to see who Howell is. And they basically said that the only way that Rivera would ever see Howell was if he started the game, because apparently Rivera just spends all his time with the defense and doesn't even pay attention to the offense. And he said he had some quote where he was like, oh, I didn't know how good this kid was. It's like, so this concept of like, oh, is Rivera going to rein the enemy in and force him to be more run heavy? Like, I think there's a pretty good chance that Rivera is more hands off with the offense than we give it credit for. And that this is going to be like the enemy is trying to get this head coaching job, right? Again, easiest matchup of the season. Every, every press conference, the enemy talks about second effort and doing the little things right and continuing to get better. And, and, you know, they'll talk about the last about this great play that the offense had. And he's like, well, there are a few guys who didn't give second effort on it. And it's like, he's pushing these guys like to have this mindset of we're going to be a great team and there's still going to be flaws. They're still going to make mistakes, but I feel like against the Cardinals, a, a bad, bad team in week one, this is the kind of spot where, you know, maybe Washington averages 22 points a game throughout the season. Maybe they're not like an explosive offense, but they could come out of week one being one of the stories of the week with, you know, 30, 33 points. Uh, so that's another one. Any thoughts on on that spot? Have you given any consideration to Washington? Yeah, I have um, one team built. I was actually really strong in the beginning of the week on Washington, and then I just kind of leaned more towards off, maybe because of how many teams I was like looking at on a wider scale. Um but I think I have like 70% of Washington's defense played on most of my teams. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing too, like the Washington, I kind of think that's like a, that perfectly encapsulates the way people are going to see that game in that they're going to be like, although this, if the Washington offense blows up, there's going to be a lot of people who were like, Oh man, I was looking at that. I should have mm-hmm. pulled the trigger, you know, because it does kind of catch the eye but then there's a lot of uncertainty. And so it's easy to move on to all the other spots. And then the Washington defense is such an obvious play at 2,800 against that bad Arizona offense that I think that we'll see a lot of people just gravitating that way. And then that again, takes even more away from the, um, the Washington offense. And I think, I think it's viable actually, I've been playing around with this um, in my head, but I think it's viable to play some Washington defense with Washington offense pieces, probably not with Sam Howell, but I think that there could be a game where, because I think that they're the rare team that will be willing to be up 24, nothing and still pass the ball on their next drive. I guess is what I'm getting at. So like, I probably won't play Sam Howell with the Washington defense, but there's a viable pathway to Jahan Dotson, you know, going for 25 points and the Washington defense going for 15 points. And that'll be a really unique pairing as well. So uh, yeah, an interesting spot. And then uh, Miles Sanders, I just, I think people underestimate how good he is. And he was in sort of this Eagles, offense that very fundamentally likes to rotate backs and have each back have its own unique role. But up until like late last season, I think he was NFL all-time leader in yards per carry or like top three, top five in all-time like yards per carry. Like he's up there in yards per carry. Uh, He is a good pass catching back. The Eagles didn't use him that way. Uh, There's a video clip of Frank Reich basically saying to Miles Sanders, like, we want you to catch over 50 passes this year, just like you did. He did it uh, a few years ago when Deuce Staley was his running backs coach in, in, and like assistant offense, assistant head coach or whatever in Philadelphia. Now Deuce Staley is with the Panthers on their staff. And so they want to lean on Miles Sanders. They gave him a big contract and he's like 
dramatically better than Chuba Hubbard. And I think that people just kind of look at it as like, well, maybe Chuba Hubbard's eating into his snaps, but they really realize that Miles Sanders is the lead dog, but they just, they can't grasp it. And so when I look at workload matchup, I kind of look at Bijan Robinson on the other side of that game, right? Tyler Algier ran for 4.9 yards a carry his rookie year. He's good. He's not as good as Bijan Robinson, but like Bijan Robinson's not going to come out and get 28 carries in his first game as a rookie. They're going to balance this. They're going to give the ball to Tyler Algier. They're going to give the ball to Cordero Patterson. So let's say we give Bijan Robinson like 18 to 22 carries and maybe three catches. Well, doesn't Miles Sanders get a very similar workload? Doesn't he get 18 to 22 carries and three or four catches in that same game at 2,600 less in salary, uh, similar matchup. So yeah, I, I like the, um, the Miles Sanders just from a standpoint of like, well, he's underpriced relative to his ceiling. He's underpriced relative to his role and people just are going to overlook him. So uh, he's a guy I'm pretty heavy on. And I think those are the three, not the only spots, but those are like the three spots that stand out the most. I mean, you, yeah, you can look through like whenever he got carries, whenever he got enough touches last year, like he would put up some of these monster games, uh, a lot of times touchdown driven, right? And there won't be as many touchdown opportunities with Carolina, but he, there will be opportunities for him to get more touches with Carolina. And so, um, yeah, another, another guy who I think could end up being one of the stories of the week. Um, I'll have, I'll have some high confidence bets on him this week. And so, yeah, those are three spots that I like also like the, the Bengals Browns game. I also have some exposure to the Seattle, um, Rams game. So with that, let's dive into a roster. Why don't you pick our starting point in terms of like what game we want to focus on for our, like how we anchor this roster. Oh man. Okay. There's so many. Let's go. What do you think about the um, Dolphins Chargers game? Let's, I say, let's do this. I mean, well, there's a lot to talk about with that game, but we've got this Seattle, um, Cincinnati, Cleveland, uh, Sam Howell, Russ Wilson, like of the four spots we've talked about. Let's, let's like drill down on one of those and see what a roster could end up looking like from, um, from one of those spots. All right, cool. I am totally okay with going with the um, Denver route then and uh, taking Russ as the QB. All right. I like it. I like it a lot. I think uh, right now I sort of mapped out my early exposures last night. Uh, uh, well, I probably shouldn't give too much away, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be heavy on Russ and heavy on, on how, I mean, I'll, I'm playing 150 max, but like in terms of my tighter builds, um, Russ and Howell will be like competing for my main build for sure. Um, so with Russ, there's, there's a few ways we can go with his pairings. Like we're going to build this, assuming that Judy is out. Judy came back to practice in limited fashion, but it, it like sounded, it's a hamstring. It sounded originally like he was going to miss the first week or two. So um, it just feels like the sort of spot where he's not actually going to be on the field this week. So we'll assume he's out, which means that there's interesting ways we can build it. Russ doesn't run much. So if he's having a big game, that's probably at least three touchdown passes. Uh, and so at the price tags, we probably on a concentrated offense, we probably do want two guys, but it doesn't have to be Mims and somebody else. Uh, I think that if Judy's out, Greg Dulcich is going to play quite a bit and people aren't going to look at him because there's been all this talk this offseason about, about Adam Troutman actually being the starting tight end there. But Dulcich is the pass catching tight end and they'll run a lot of 12 personnel if they don't have Judy uh, so I think Dulcich becomes very interesting. And then Javante Williams, like he, uh, Sean Payton has said minutes limit, 
but he hasn't said anything about a touch limit. And I think that he gets at minimum 16 carries, probably like 16, well, not at minimum 16 carries, but like in that 16 to 19 touch range for Javante Williams. And it's kind of weird. Like we look through his game logs from last year and he only played four games before he got hurt. So it's like hard to get a sense of what he can do without looking back at the previous year at 2021. But I mean, he has monster upside. Uh, and so again, I don't think he's has a monster workload, but he's capable of putting up 25 points on, on the workload that he'll see. So that kind of gives us four guys that we can mess around with. And I think that ideally we want two of them on this Russ roster. So I'll let you kind of pick which direction you want to go there um, because we're essentially betting on the Broncos scoring four touchdowns ideally. And so we want to get as many of those touchdowns as we can. Yeah. So um, kind of, I kind of want to go towards a similar route um, of a roster that I had built maybe a couple days ago, cool. which is um, I had to go a little cheaper because of how expensive uh, Josh Jacobs is. And so I really thought Mims would be a great play here. And then a bring back with Josh Jacobs. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And so what I like about that, again, people tend to think of ownership in a vacuum and I don't look at ownership projections till Saturday nights. And I don't use that as a huge part of my process, but we can know without looking at ownership projections that Marvin Mims will probably be somewhat popular this week. And so people can look at it and be like, well, I shouldn't play that guy. But if we throw Mim, if we throw Josh Jacobs onto our Mims roster, we're already so different from what other people with Mims are doing that if Jacobs also hits, we're moving past all those Marvin Mims rosters. So uh, Marvin, Marvin Mims, Josh Jacobs, I really like that just because Josh Jacobs is going to be a guy people don't want to play. Uh, you know, negativity surrounding him throughout draft season because he just wasn't at training camp and then, quote, tough matchup. Uh, and then, yeah, I would want to throw in one more Broncos piece. So we could do Dulcich and cover that tight end spot, uh, or we could throw in Sutton or Javante Williams. So uh, with my previous roster, I had – Sutton, but I actually am totally okay with going with Dulcich on here. Uh, Gives us something fun to play around with. Covers the uh, things up there for yeah, 4K. Covers that um, that tough to fill tight end spot, and it's always a great way to fill tight end is just attached to whatever game you're building around, betting on touchdowns coming. And and like again, not knowing ownership projections, but let's say Mims is 25%, but Dulcich is 5%, and Jacobs is 5%. That would be very realistic this week. Now, maybe if Judy's out, there gets to be some buzz where people are saying, oh, like Dulcich will get the snaps, but we're still having to like extrapolate from point A to point B and say, well, they're missing Judy. They don't have a number three receiver. So Dulcich becomes the number three receiver. Like so it's still going to be an uncomfortable play for a lot of people. So I don't think ownership gets too high. So in terms of if, if you're watching this, you're newer to, newer to this type of thinking, like we don't care that Mims is high owned on this. What we care about is the full bet they're placing. Mims is putting up a big score in a game environment with a lot of points being scored. And we're taking full advantage of that. And most people won't. So this block that we're building around is far lower owned than, than Mims as an individual play. And if this block hits, we're way ahead of the field because very few people would have something like this. Right. So you mentioned something earlier um, about the Seahawks. If they get ahead a lot that they like to play slower and they're just going to run the ball a lot. Um, what do you think about adding uh, Kenneth Walker? So they are, Walker missed a bunch of time with a, what was it? A forearm injury. And then uh, Zach Charbonnet, they drafted him in the second round and they really like him. So I, I almost feel like, and you can even like pull up Walker's game logs real quickly. He had like one or two really big games at this price tag last year. 
Um, and a lot of these like just consistent 11 to 17 point games, right? He has these couple games that really stand out early in the year. And then the rest of the year, he's just sort of a steady producer. doesn't catch a lot of passes. So I kind of see this being a spot where they're going to split the backfield between these two guys. Not that Kenneth Walker's not still the lead dog, but like if they're running the ball a lot and Kenneth Walker's coming back from injury and they want to keep, they, they view themselves as a Super Bowl contender, right? So they want to keep these guys fresh for the season. I just have a hard time seeing Walker put up uh, a huge game, which isn't to, I hate to get too deep into player takes because so much of DFS is just about putting together sharp rosters, but yeah, that's kind of my take here. So I guess that said, we can still throw him on here, um, but I'd also be fine going a different direction. Yeah. I think we should definitely go a different direction. I um, had no idea about what you just said. So I um, totally agree. We should go in a different direction. Yeah. And it's these, Little things heading into the season. And again, if um, I think that this, the the week one special pod I'm going to put together, I'm going to go through all 13 games. It'll be like an hour and a half long. So if you throw it on 2x speed, 45 minutes, and you'll kind of get a sense of a lot of the ins and outs of these, these spots and teams that might be new information heading into the season um, for you, for a lot of people. So that'll be on the one week season podcast feed later today. Um, you know, another thing I know you often like to, grab a defense like around yes. this point and see it. what our salary looks like. Cause we're going to have a lot of salary to work with. And I honestly, if you like Washington a lot, our starting point is so different that I wouldn't mind going Washington here. Cause they are the sharpest defense on the slate. Uh, I wouldn't mind going Washington here. They're 2,800. They put up a lot of points. Uh, and we have something so different that we can actually do that popular defense and, and still feel good about what we're doing. So when like on the subject of defense, um, on a few of my rosters that I've built, I've had to actually get, like drop down to the very bottom. What is your opinion on dropping? So should I, if I have to, should I take the, the lowest defense or instead should I maybe drop one of the more expensive players and try to get, you know, the commanders or a higher paying defense? Yeah, so I love that question. So if you look at like a player who's priced at, 7k versus a player who's priced at 8k that player who's priced at 7k might hit 30 points twice in a season and the guy who's priced at 8k might hit 30 points six times in a season so the difference in salary at like that highest end really makes a big difference um so if you're talking like a guy at like 6200 or 5500 and that's where you're having to drop those guys might kind of be the same player generally speaking but when if you're talking about like dropping from one of your top guys a lot of times you lose a lot so it all depends on like where you're dropping but and i said that on that show with pete like we we tend to look at things in a linear fashion like dots on a line but really what we have to be able to do is take all this information and sort of view this nebulous pile of soup of information and like understand what's the best thing to do with it so uh yeah if i'm dropping from like a 8k player to a 7200 player to get up to the defense i want to get to then i feel like i'm losing too much and then defense is a high variance position so you're losing too much and taking on a lot more uncertainty whereas if it's like a if i'm like okay well i'm kind of between this 6200 guy and this 5400 guy or whatever it might be that's an easier move to make in my opinion because you can just say well this is pretty much the same range of players there's the same amount of certainty uncertainty the same amount of upside um 
And then it also depends on what defense you're going to, right? Like the Buccaneers are, they're solid, but they're not aggressive. And Minnesota's a really good offense. So that's not a spot where I necessarily want to go. Uh, the Raiders don't have, outside of Max Crosby, they don't have any firepower for getting to the quarterback. So that's not necessarily a spot I want to go. The Texans, though, are really interesting. I actually pull up their, their game logs real quickly from last year. Like the Texans consistently surprised with the points they were putting up. And Lovey Smith is a good defensive. I mean, look at that. There's like one game of, of one point and three points. Like all these others, like six points, seven points and above, double digit points. Um, they oh, were sneaky. Fifth, they allowed the fifth lowest passer rating in the NFL last year. They weren't one of those teams that like, because they allowed really low stats to, to passing offenses. They weren't one of those teams that just allowed really low stats to passing offenses because they were bad and teams were running against them. I mean, that was the case, but they were also a really good secondary. And so, uh, and then they bring in D'Amico Ryans, who's an excellent coach. And the Texans, funny, like paying attention to all these teams in the preseason, the Texans don't have the vibe of a team that is like, we're going to go out and win games. Like literally listening to their coaches, their GM, their vibe is like, we are going to go out and play. Everybody on our team is going to play their best and we're going to get better and we're going to build on that, right? Like that's their mindset. So it's not like they're going to come in and, and win this game more than likely, but they are going to be competitive. And like D'Amico Ryans, you know, he was the defensive coordinator for San Francisco last year. Uh, he was a, 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 a pro bowl linebacker in his playing days. And he's in, I don't know, his late thirties. He's not like an old guy, you know? So like he, and he played for the Texans. Like he relates really well to these players and he's not like one of these, kind of hard-nosed jerks he's like a player's coach but also hard on the guys you know and so like I think that this team's going to play hard they don't have the talent but they're going to play hard play disciplined um and I think that you know first first time with a new offensive coordinator for the Ravens and they're probably you know they want to throw the ball more this year I think that in this matchup they still end up running more but if they do try to throw it more this week like it's actually not a bad spot for the Ravens at 2100. So yeah, that's, that's actually a defense that I don't mind dropping down to. Cause I think you can get anywhere from five to nine points from them with, you know, potential for double digits. If, if something breaks your way. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't even um, look at their game log from last year. They weren't, didn't go negative once. And that's honestly what I look for in a defense. Um, a lot of the times is at least like, just don't give me negative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's rare that you have those Patriots defense teams that like, you know, 14 points, 12 points, 17 points, right? Like um, the the defense is that if it's a cheap defense and it can consistently put up seven points, I mean, that's awesome. You know, like you're not going to get that difference making score from them, but it's hard to find that difference making score for under like 3,500 or so. So um, yeah, I like the Texans is a very interesting way to go. And even like we can keep that in mind on this roster because the cool thing about this roster, we talk about doing things differently is we've got what is that 6650 left per player like we have so much flexibility here on this roster uh and you know our starting point is different enough that we don't have to worry too much about ownership like if we like Alave or Calvin Ridley we can put them on here if we like Justin Jefferson we can put them on here um and then maybe find like one other thing to do to do differently here so yeah I don't know where do you want to go next on on this roster we've got the basically wide receivers and running backs left so uh what's your opinion on like a double tight end? It all depends on the week. Um, as we get deeper into the season, pricing gets tighter. I don't mind double tight end because sometimes there are two tight ends who can put up, 
you know, 15 plus points at 3K and there aren't wide receivers in that price range who can do that. On this week, I feel like there's a lot, there's more, there are more missed price players. So there's a lower chance that a double tight end build can get you to first place because you would need both guys to score 20 plus. But who are you looking at at tight end? Hawkinson. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what's interesting about Hawkinson is then you end up not playing Jefferson and you're basically betting on Hawkinson taking the points away from Jefferson. So if I were going to do that on this roster, I'd want to move from Dulcich over to Sutton and then put Hawkinson in there. And then that would allow us to have one more like high-priced guy, whether that's Austin Eckler or um, I probably want Tyree Kill only in like game environment bets there. But like we could put Austin Eckler on this roster as well. And then you have like a really unique setup where you're taking points away from Jefferson with, with your Hawkinson bet. And then you're um, loading up, you know, at, at, at another high priced player that people won't have. And um, there's a lot of fun, like levers being pulled there. You're basically saying Jefferson disappoints Eckler hits because Jeff Jefferson disappoints. Some of those points are flowing to Hawkinson. So like you, the 30% of rosters have Jefferson or whatever, like as they get hurt, you're benefiting because the people with Jefferson don't have the salary to play Austin Eckler or Josh Jacobs. So if these guys also hit, you're moving past everyone even further. So yeah, that's the way I would play it, but I wouldn't put Hawkinson on in the flex uh, in week one. Okay. So basically that kind of roster that you just like talked about right there would basically be for more of like the Millie maker type of tournament because no, almost nobody's going to have all of those things on a roster. Which one? The one with, um, like, yeah, with Hawkinson as tight end, and then you're gonna you're going against Jefferson. I mean, so I don't think it would have to be Millie Maker because, like, let's look at the players, right? Like Russ in that in, in that instance, Russ Mims Sutton. That's still a pretty high confidence bet. You can play that in small field. Hawkinson's the high confidence bet. You can play that in small field. Eckler's a high confidence bet. Jacobs is is you know a high confidence bet in this bet that we're placing. So even though it's super unique. It's all good players. And that's why for me, like individual ownership matters a lot less than the emphasis a lot of people put on it. Because if you have a roster with Josh Jacobs and Austin Eckler, and then you're, you've got Hawkinson taking away points from, um, from Jefferson, like you're, this is all sharp players in a vacuum, you know, but just it's a roster that nobody else will have. So yeah, if we threw Sutton on here, we actually still have, I mean, we can we can roll with this roster because um, we're going to have over 5K per player left. And if we go with like a Puka Nakua or something like that, right, all of a sudden we've got, you know, 8K left for our last spot. Like we have a ridiculous roster here um, that we can mess around with. Yeah, Elijah Moore. Well, yeah, what do you think about Elijah Moore? Uh, I mean, it's it's a good play. Like it's it's appropriately priced for the range of outcomes, but inappropriately priced for the ceiling. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. So like the risk, he's on a new team. He really didn't play well last year. Camp reports have been strange. Some camp reports are like, this guy's electric. This is why they got him. And then other camp reports are like, because what they're talking about a lot out of camp Brown's camp is they are using this guy all over the field. They're using him in the backfield. They're using him on screens. They're using him. But the other reports are like, well, the reason they're doing that is because he's not commanding targets on his own. It's not like he's just out there running the routes and getting the, getting open and getting the ball thrown to him. So they're saying, well, we want to get the ball in his hands. So let's scheme up stuff for him. Um, so like there's positive ways to look at the Elijah Moore thing. There's negative ways. And we really won't know till the game start, but we do know 
you know, down the run of his rookie year, he was putting up 30 point games for the Jets on a bad team. So we do know that there's opportunity for him to put up points. Another thing cool here too, is we're kind of taking Hawkinson in this, you know, borderline elite tight end range, right? Where Njoku also resides. So if we take a lot of people who have, who have Njoku don't have Hawkinson. And so then we can say, well, if we get Elijah Moore, then we're hoping that Njoku has a bad game. Those points go to Elijah Moore. And then we're getting further ahead because we have the tight end who is hitting. So like we're, we have a lot of leverage on this roster off of other ways that people will be playing the slate, which is why like, um, like Puka Nakua is a fine play, right? But he doesn't do much for you from a strategy standpoint. It's very straightforward. It's like, does he get you 15 plus points or not? Whereas Elijah Moore, there's a lot of strategy that that sort of that plays off of, especially with a guy like Hawkinson on this roster. And then Hawkinson has strategy built in because if he's scoring, then he's taking away points from Justin Jefferson. So yeah, I mean, like Elijah Moore fits really nicely onto this roster and still frees up a, a ton of salary for us at that last spot. Yeah. Um, there's also another way I was thinking we could go with it too. Um, I'm not saying we should, I'm just saying, just mentioning it, you know, you could say the same thing about, um, Amari Cooper basically. Yeah. 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 What's Amari's price? I think it's like five, 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 maybe five, eight. Yeah. That's low. Um, yeah. I marked down in my like initial allocations last night that I wanted to have like a, uh, more than I was expecting of Amari off of rosters from that game but I was actually thinking he was like six, six point three K or something. Mm-hmm. Um, if we throw, if we throw in Elijah Moore, we have kind of a weird amount of salary left. We're going to have like 72 or 7,300. And I don't know that there's any players in there that I really love, but if we throw in Amari, that puts us in kind of this five K um, makes it a little bit different. Um, Do you want to see both? Do you want to see? What yeah, let's both see both. Okay, cool. Because the uh, one thing I will say is um, there are some guys, most particularly Calvin Ridley and Chris Alave, who are 6,500 and will probably be 7,500 or more within a few weeks. That doesn't mean they'll hit this week, but we are getting significant savings on them compared to where they should be. So if we go with Elijah Moore, we could play one of those guys and then use the extra salary at um, defense or at somewhere else, you know, but um, – Whereas Amari, it cuts, it sends down into the 5K range for our last guy. Um, okay. So yeah, I would, yeah. I would actually prefer, I would prefer to play like the Ridley Alave type play over okay, cool. any of these guys. Um, nothing, nothing against these guys, but these guys are all like very specifically, would, I'd want to build around them in a different way um, with like pieces from those games, so to speak, to really place those bets correctly. Um, I like, Ridley a lot, so I'm totally fine with playing him. Yeah, and Ridley, another one that'll be popular, but what's cool is it's popular, but it doesn't matter for us because our structure is so unique on this roster. Like, the cumulative ownership on this roster would be relatively high, but this is still, like, any contest of 10,000 or fewer entries, you still have a very clear path to first place with with this roster. So, um, yeah, if we throw Ridley on, we've got, what is that, an extra 800 left in salary. Uh we don't want to remove um, Russ, Mims, Sutton, Hawkinson, because that's all like a, a comprehensive bet. Same thing with Javante. So really the only places that we can move are Elijah Moore, Austin Eckler, or the defense. Um, so, yeah. And if we did, if we moved off 
this would be like maybe building a second, third, fourth variation off of it. If we moved off Eckler or more, what I'd probably do is go to a cheaper running back and then have more salary at, at wide receiver. You could actually do kind of interesting. You could do like Miles Sanders and instead of Elijah Moore, you could do Chris Olave. So then you have like both of the underpriced 6,500 guys. But on this roster, let's stick with this and um, and go with a, a, a different defense. You know, that's that's the funny thing about this. I was like kind of thinking of what else to do as well. And it's just, it's crazy because off of like one roster build, you can have like 20, oh my 20 gosh. variants of just separate yeah. things you can do. And it's all yeah. based around that same structure of how you're going to use that uh, roster to win said tournament. And it would like work really well in those um, 20 entry tournaments, the, the, the five entry, 10 entry tournaments. Yeah. And you can act like you can place, like you could do this core and then mix and match like some Jacobs, some Devante, right. But like this core and then like those last three, four spots could go so many different directions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and we've, uh, what I love about this show is we're able to talk through all the different directions. And again, these are primarily thought exercises. It's not like we're saying, go put this roster. And in fact, we can't say that, but um, the idea here is like to be able to talk through this and see the angles and see how these rosters can come together. And, and really it doesn't matter, um, you know, for this thought exercise, what, what defense we put on here, um, you know, and, and the Chargers are an interesting one. Your mouse is actually over them. I don't know intentionally or not. Um, they're interesting just because uh, Bosa only played five games last year. So they've got Joey Bosa. They've got Khalil Mack. Brandon Staley is a good defensive coordinator. Uh, Tua takes a lot of sacks. Teron Armstead, the, uh, the uh, Dolphins left tackle, banged up this week. He's going to fight through it and play, but he's not going to be at his best. Uh, it wouldn't be a shock if if the Chargers put up a, a good score and then everybody's going to be betting on this game, putting up points. And so if it doesn't and the Chargers defense is getting those points, that helps us. Uh, but then also there's, there's quote, better plays as well. So that's a really strong strategy play and not a bad play. Uh, but there's also, you know, we could just go up to the Jags against Anthony Richardson in his first game or the Saints against uh, a mediocre uh, Titans offense. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of different ways that we can go here at defense. I feel pretty confident in the Jags, actually. Um, definitely confident in the Jags. Cool. I didn't yeah. think about the Chargers like that, though. That's that's an interesting take. The the Jags with Ridley is interesting. It's not like correlated, but we the question then you always have to ask is like, if the Jags are up twenty four nothing, will they still be throwing? And to me, the answer is yes. I don't. This is a team that th they're being talked about as you know. Trevor Lawrence has MVP buzz. They're being talked about as a sexy pick to, to, you know, dethrone Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen this year. So like, they're going to want to put up points if they can, they'll obviously slow it down the second half of the fourth quarter, but they wouldn't mind winning this game by a lot. And, and I think that Ridley and the Jags defense can hit on the same roster. So it kind of breaks a rule, but anytime we're breaking a rule, as long as we can ask those questions of whether or not it can still make sense, then um, it's okay to break the rule. Yeah, it's funny. We we started out with the Dulcich thing and then got onto the two tight end conversation, kind of shifted what we were doing. <laughs> but what's cool about this roster is that the people who have, and I love Jefferson this week. So again, it's never about like predicting what's going to happen so much as making sure that our roster gives ourselves our clearest path to first place for the way that roster is built. You know, like I always say, the moment you put a player, even if you play a player on one out of 100 rosters, on that roster that you're playing him on, you're betting that he has a big game. Yeah. On your other 99, you're betting he doesn't. But on that roster, you're betting he has a big game. And then you want to say, what's my clearest path to first place if this guy has a big game? Your clearest path to first place, if a 20% owned Eckler hits, is 
for a 20% owned Jefferson to not also hit. Cause then it's just like, everybody's getting those points. So we want Jefferson to not hit on this roster. So we get Hawkinson. Um, we then want Njoku to not hit because we have Hawkinson. So then we get Elijah Moore. It's really cool the way that this roster like plays off of some of the stuff other people will be doing. And again, uh, Russell have some ownership. Eckler will be popular. Mims will be popular. Sutton will probably be popular. Moore will have some ownership. Hawkinson will have some ownership. Ridley will be popular. And yet this structure is so different that like, I wouldn't put this in the Millie maker because you got to take on like a little bit more craziness in the Millie maker, but anything of like 10,000 or fewer entries, even the, the slant, which is 50,000 entries. I wouldn't mind playing this, but uh, especially anything 10,000 or fewer entries, this is like a really sharp build that gives you clear paths to a first place finish. Um, we went a little bit long today. You got any final thoughts, any final notes before we get out of here? Uh, no, I just uh, like how this entire roster just fits the narrative of going against um, all these high ownership players, but at the same time still being a high ownership roster, which is odd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like we're not taking on any dumb plays here but it's just very uniquely structured to where we have a very clear path to, to first place with, with it. Uh, and again, a lot of different pathways that you could go outside of specifically what we did. We touched on some of those. So um, cool, man. Always a blast. Fun to be back together. You've seen my wife and kids more recently than I have. <laughs> <laughs> Sent them out of town for two weeks and uh, do this crush of work. Um but uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll hang again tomorrow and uh, kind of pick your brain on some other things, pick my brain on some other things, maybe build another roster. Um, so yeah, any, any final thoughts from you? No, nope, that's it. All right. Uh, as always, thanks for hanging out. Uh, reminder, if you're still here, you probably know this, but everything on one week season is free week one. So check out oneweekseason.com. Check out the One Week Season podcast feed. That One Week Season special pod will be up later today, later Friday, later Thursday. Today's Thursday. Uh, kickoff party on Discord tonight during the Thursday night football game. We will see you back here in the DFS lab on Friday. We will see you on the site throughout the weekend, and we will see you at the top of the leaderboards in week one.